Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Hello, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and today very pleased to welcome back to the table Matt Bennett. Matt says, been a couple months or a few months since you've been here, Matt, but uh, so good to have you here. And Matt and I will be discussing his recent sermon from Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. So Matt, formally, thanks for joining us today. Looking forward to talking with you. Absolutely. Thank you, Bart. Well, Matt, let's jump into it. We've uh, we've been working through Philippians, and we're here at the end of what we of chapter one, kind of the introduction uh, that Paul shares to the Philippians. And you made a point in your sermon on Sunday to emphasize Paul's phrase in verse twenty-seven. He talks about the our manner of life, and he's telling us, you know, instructing us how we ought to live. You reference the thought that Paul is calling the Philippians to a life in which their behavior matches the reality of their purpose and calling. This is a direct response to one who would say that they prayed a prayer once so they know that they're a Christian, but is their life showing it? So sounds a lot like another letter we studied, and you preached through some of this, I believe. You were involved in that book of James. Can we talk just briefly about how Paul's approach here and James' approach really go to the same point? Yeah, yeah. So I think uh, a lot of times James and Paul kind of get pitted against one another with James kind of emphasizing the the life of work as a response to Christ's salvation and giving testimony and evidence of the life of Christ at work in a person and salvation being lived out, whereas sometimes Paul's emphasis on the fact that it is not our works that earn our salvation and his thrust towards faith, that uh, our salvation comes by faith in Christ alone, not something that we can work because, in fact, we are dead in our sins. Sometimes those two things seem to be in disharmony with one another, and yet I think the reality of what Paul regularly talks about, about being in Christ people, that our salvation is something that moves us from that static situation of being dead and having no life or hope or capacities within us to actually being transformed to being alive in Christ. Well, alive is not a static category. It's a lived out category, and it's a lived out category that will produce fruits. It will produce the fruits of Christ living in us. And so I tried to use that language of uh, salvation as primarily being in Christ people in whom Christ is living. And so our lives should be increasingly reflecting what it looks like to be those in Christ people whose lives are fitting to those inhabited by our God. And it, it reminds me of the fact that the, the scriptures, and we might think this is elementary, but this is really also graduate level stuff, if you will, the idea that the scripture is, is in harmony, whether it's Paul uh, saying this in Philippians, Paul talking in Romans or wherever he, uh, James coming from a, a little different slant, but saying the same thing, it all comes together and is a full, yeah. well-orbed message. Yeah, when we think about salvation, that word is precious biblical language, and it's right for us to use it. So I don't want to, in somehow, uh, in my following comments, undermine that. But salvation for us tends to be what we talk about in terms of in that final day at the judgment, will we be saved from the consequences of our sins? And yes, in Christ, we will by the mercy of our God. And that is good news. 
but it is also something that is a present reality that we are to live out as those who are alive and no longer dead in our sins. So it's not that those things are in conflict with one another. We did not earn that salvation, but in receiving it, now Christ is at work in us and we are being sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit so that the things that we do in the body, we are doing as those inhabited and attended by the presence of God and in the presence before the face of God as we live. And so our lives should be increasingly reflecting that sense of, my goodness, I want to fight sin in my life because if I don't, I'm dragging the holy God into contact with some of these things. I'm, I'm bringing him into my mess as opposed to being called up into the new life that he's working in me. And so again, the grace continues to work in our fallibility. And as we continue to flight the flesh, we will be imperfect in this. So I don't want to crush people with, with guilt in any sense, but there is a sense in which it is proper and right for Paul to summon us to live gospel worthy lives. There's a phrase that keeps coming up here on the podcast and, uh, and hopefully it gets ingrained in all of our minds as we're listening, but it's the idea of, of already, but not yet. We, we are saved, but boy, we will be saved yeah. completely, fully, and there will yeah. be no looking back on that day. Yeah. Paul uses that language of you are saved, you will be saved, and you are being saved. Right. And I think that, that dynamic of those, those verbs and the tenses and the time frame that it's looking at are, are important for our more full understanding of what salvation is. Good. Well, let's go then to the next phrase that you you looked at, and right there in, in verse 27, Paul uses that next phrase, worthy of the gospel of Christ. Mm-hmm. And he illustrates one way that a type of life uh, is lived is being in unity with other believers in Christ as the group strives for, the word striving I think is rich too, mm-hmm. so working, mm-hmm. uh, really digging in together for the gospel. Can we talk about some ways that you, and maybe I'll chime in a little too, but some ways that we've seen this play out in churches in the positive. Perhaps maybe we can also oppose that with some ways that we've seen it play out in the negative. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think of actually some of the more somber times that we've experienced over the last few years as a church, as we've seen some of the, the saints of this body, uh, receive their reward as they have passed on. Some of the funerals that we've been able to host have been some of the richest time of recounting the ways that the saints entrusted to this church have been faithful in their service, pouring themselves out to teach Sunday school, to be involved in international missions, to be casting vision for reaching out to the community around us and active in that. And some of the stories that get recounted in those times are occasions to look back and say, man, this is, these are people who have been characterized by lives that are lived on behalf of first King Jesus, but then second on behalf of his people. And so uh, I think of some of those times in our recent history that have just pointed to occasions where we can pause and, and thank the Lord for these examples within our midst who have set such a good pace for that sort of stuff. 
And when you, I thought you were going to go a different direction. You talked about these past few years. Let's face it. We've had in the past few years here at, at Grace, this local body, we've had some things that happen, you know, as a, as a, as a world, uh, as humanity has dealt with a global pandemic, uh, really the first one in, I mean, nothing like it in about a century, really, since the Spanish flu epidemic of the late 19 teens. But, uh, that put churches sometimes at odds with one another. Yeah. And so let's talk about the the ways we've seen that, you know, working worthy of the gospel of Christ. When I think about that, I'm thinking of, okay, what's going to, what's going to prevail here mm-hmm. as we talk through uh, responses to a global pandemic? Mm-hmm. Let's use that yeah. as exa- an example. Uh, is it going to be what my rights are mm-hmm. or is it going to be what's better for everybody? Mm-hmm. And, are either of those necessarily bad or good in and of themselves? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's always a, a tension um, in some of those things of uh, recognizing that there are different different poles pulling at us, um, both to seek the unity of the body, um, but also not to stick our heads in the sand or to give ourselves over to things that our convictions would otherwise preclude us from. And so... Uh, just looking at some of those tense times, I think of conversations, even among the elders, where there were points of difference from where we started on some of these discussions, to then working through as brothers who realized that seeing something slightly differently than another is not a negation of our unity, and it's not a negation of our task of driving together forward and over the process of conversations, realizing that there is a way to um, maintain the unity of the body, even when perhaps on some of these tertiary type decisions, there might be initial disagreement, that celebration of a common, uh, a common vision, a common calling uh, was something that I, I think permeated our elder discussions. And I think even looking at uh, the congregation, I, I would say on the whole, we did a good job of disagreeing towards unity if that makes sense unity not unanimity maybe it's another uniformity uniformity yeah and and that's that's always difficult and and even in those elder discussions um i was not engaged at that that year in Mm -hmm. 2020 in particular but i'm pretty sure there were passions Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. were exhibited um how do, whether it's in a marital relationship, mm. a business relationship, a church relationship where we are called to unity, mm-hmm. how can we be striving together mm. when we have different perspectives, different yeah. ideas on what the best way forward? Yeah. What are some of the principles that you would uh, talk to your children mm-hmm. about or your students or a member of yeah. Grace Baptist Church? Uh, maybe by way of contrast, I think the broader society, broader culture, uh, increasingly, especially the places where we have access to people voicing their opinions, things like social media or or even the news media, uh, we run to the polls as quick as we, we can. And uh, the way that we establish ourselves and our opinions as valid is oftentimes not necessarily by arguing the logical points of them, but by demonizing and um, putting out our opponents as those who are characterized as idiots or who want to, you know, undermine the the future of this country, or we, we, we castigate those that we disagree with and functionally dehumanize them and make them enemies. Instead of inviting them to dinner. 
Right, right. But in the church, we are called to this vision of saying, I may disagree with you, but we are fundamentally caught up into the same family and the same kingdom on the same team. And so let's disagree as brothers and sisters. So we're, we're working out a fundamental unity that actually is more true than any of our disagreement. And so we're working from a place of unity towards unity rather than what our culture devoid of some common vision of who we are um, is trying to repair disunity or perpetuate it to the degree that one side uh, makes the other side look like they're idiots or wicked. Um, Whereas in the church, we don't have that option. Like Mm -hmm. we are brothers and sisters in Christ and our disagreements need to be characterized by that fundamental core of unity. Um, And aren't those times when the, uh, the simplicity and, and listen, we can get into systematic theology. We can talk about how this works, how that works, how it all works together within the different doctrines of, of the scriptures. But when it comes down to it, I love the simplicity mm-hmm. of a statement from Z, from Jesus when asked, okay, what's the greatest commandment? Mm-hmm. Love the Lord your God. And then the second is like to it, love your neighbors yourself. If we just got back to simple mm-hmm. things, and, and that's really what you're talking to, yeah. preferring God first and others yeah, it's it's family. You know, that language is uh, likewise similar, relatable language that permeates the, the scriptures. We are the family of God in Christ. And that means that as siblings, we may we may differ at certain times over some of the secondary and tertiary issues of our life. But we're always coming back to Christmas together. We're always coming back home. We're always sharing the same table. And so we need to figure out a way to live together um, from that unifying core. And by the way, uh, if you're listening, stay tuned for coming weeks as we get into chapter two. Because that's really what this is talking about. Mm -hmm. Let this mind be in you, which also is in Christ Jesus. It's almost as if... This was one cohesive letter making one cohesive (laughs) argument. Well, okay, let's Mm. shift a little bit. You you took us into a practical exercise that our church is uh, entering into this year. And just here after the first of the year, we started Mm. publicizing and and started letting people know of an initiative that Mm. the elders are very excited about. Mm. Uh, You were very uh, influential in bringing this to the elders and saying, hey, we really need to consider this. And and that's the Multiplying Grace Initiative. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, First of all, I know you did this earlier and you've done Mm -hmm. it in the past, but for this forum right now, why don't you just share briefly what brought this idea of the Multiplying Grace Initiative, why we're where we are, and what we're looking to do as, as the elders as we seek to lead the church into this more perhaps more formalized uh, version of what, as you said the other day, we've already been doing for decades. Yeah, yeah. So in some sense, multiply grace is perhaps new language that we're using. But in some ways, we're just using it almost as a tie to wrap around some of the activities that have marked this church since its existence. But by tying them together, we're hoping to kind of spotlight, encourage, and... Synergize. uh, Synergize, yeah. To bring these things that belong together into contact with one another and to say this is really fundamentally what we are about as a church. If we are to be and to make disciples, 
uh, you know, Ephesians 4 talks, uh, talks about the fact that the, the leadership of the church is given not to do the work of ministry, but to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so I think that that vision of what we are for matched with, and even, you know, it's been six years now, but as my wife and I have returned from overseas, one of the things that we've tried to fight to do is to maintain those same sorts of analytical eyes for looking at the world and saying, how can we best and most strategically leverage our investment for the kingdom, as well as then encourage those around us to, to likewise take the gifts and skills that the Lord has given them and to be about the task of ministry, whether or not they have a formal title like pastor or missionary or some of these things, but rather that there is a, a sense of if we are disciples, we are also called up into participating as disciple makers in the work of the church. So all of that has kind of, in some ways, informed some of our uh, our motion forward of saying, man, if we are to think to the best of our ability strategically, that's going to have two different components to it. One is just the the strategic assessment of what are the resources that the Lord has entrusted to this local body? And I think, by the way, if I might interject here, <clears throat> you, in an initial proposal, you use the word embarrassing. Can you talk about that? Embarrassment of resources. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, and I think that's a very good illustration, a yeah. very good uh, characterization of what yeah. we have. So I'm I'm not a finance guy, but uh, you know one of the things that we have heard, especially coming out of COVID, from the the finance team is that the Lord has has blessed this church with significant financial resources. I think the the staff have done a wonderful job through these crisis moments of utilizing their budget well and wisely and that has created a surplus and some of our and the members uh, have given yeah the members have continued to give i mean this is an incredibly generous church but the financial uh, advisement team has recognized okay to have just a a stockpile of these resources that's undesignated and and doesn't have vision necessarily attached to it is not a very good stewardship of those resources and i think that is something that we look at in terms of finances. But then when we shift gears and say, well, what about the human resources, those gifted and talented and skilled and already ready to go ministers of the gospel who are in this church, who compose this church, I think the same sort of uh, the same sort of potential for assessment is, is rightly levied against us of saying, man, the Lord has given us this embarrassment of riches in people who have experience in ministry, people who have gifts and talents and aptitude, um, and those who aspire to ministry. So how then do we, in the same way as we want to steward our finances, help to steward, equip, mobilize, and deploy um, those human resources to being saints who are about the ministry the Lord has for them. There is a tendency amongst individuals, and I think probably amongst churches as well, to not be who God has made us to be. So in other words, <clears throat> I know that as I've gotten older, God has given me other forums in which to speak. Um, you know, when they, they say, whoever they are, then you get into your 50s and early 60s, you are in your most productive and most influential time of your life. And I, I look at Grace Baptist Church and you know, just to the point of what you're saying, are we, I think what you're saying is, are we really stepping up and being 
and using what God has given us mm-hmm. in the best way possible. And I think sometimes we think, well, yeah, we're not all that. We've got our own issues to deal well, which with. Which we do. Which we do, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that, but that often stymies us mm-hmm. from moving on and saying, but we can help you too yeah. while we're helping ourselves. Is yeah. that a fair representation? Yeah, I think uh, for uh, for certain um, certain approaches to church evaluation, uh, there are there is a tendency to evaluate success in terms of numerical collection. You know, and we can collect a lot of people. people we can say money. this is our this is our membership role. This is how many people we have here, and that is measured according to some standard of success. But I think that, um, you know, the, the fact of the matter is collecting people is not the goal. Like being disciples who gather as a church covenant to one another to encourage one another in the faith, but then who scatter in order to be influences for the kingdom so that every Sunday as we depart, we are departing not as those who just leave, but those who are sent to the office spaces that we inhabit throughout the week, to the uh, families that the Lord has entrusted to us to rear in the admonition of the Lord and uh, to the, the neighborhoods that are collections of people who are walking with the Lord and those who are far from him. If we were, if we were thinking less about collecting uh, people and instead equipping and mobilizing, I think, I think it may be a riskier thing because we may find that people who have for a season driven in a long ways, uh, from, uh, uh, from a, a distant city or something to, to attend here may find themselves saying, wow, there's, there's ministry to be done here. And there's opportunity to help encourage some saints in a church nearby. And we certainly don't want to just push people out, but at the same time, if we could mobilize people to be engaging in missionally strategic arenas that the Lord has placed them in, man, we, we don't want to collect people and stop them from ministry. We want to, we want to enable, catalyze, synergize, as you said, um, the saints to the work that the Lord has them. And as you said, <clears throat> that is risky. And it also, it does uh, connote a level of, you know, the word is striving in the mm. ESV, uh, in another version, there's con- yeah. the idea of contending. Yeah. The idea, it's an act of, it's a struggle, yeah. a struggling against the world to send the gospel across yeah. the street or across the world. And for all parties involved, I mean... Me, I, I want the besties leading us in worship. Like I, I, I want to be sitting yeah. alongside of Bob Parr and under some of his teaching, but they have They're for this elsewhere right for now. this season they have been able to use those gifts that the Lord has provided additional people within our context to be able to meet those needs within grace. And they have then been freed and allowed to use their gifts in a place where there's not somebody else to fill in and to, right to step now. in right now. And so for a season, what strikes me as the, the wisest use of deploying those gifts is for the besties to go with our blessing and our enthusiasm um, to say, use your gifts to meet the needs of this neighboring church because they need to sing the praises to the same God who makes us uh, one in Christ. Sometimes even though taught how to do that or other ways to do that. Yeah. 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 Great. Okay. So let, let's tie this back in then. Mm. Uh, and it's not a, at all a leap. Mm. Uh, Paul's idea of being in unity of mind among mm. ourselves here at Grace, mm. how specifically 
and let's just sort of tie a bow on this. How specifically does that relate to the Multiplying Grace Initiative? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think there is, there must always be uh, a centrality on being a local church. You know, I think it sometimes you have tendencies within certain streams of thought that like it's more important for us to just to be part of the church invisible or the universal church, and we're we're disciples at large, um, sometimes is the suggestion. But the reality is there's always been an uh, instantiation, a, a realization of the, the local church that is the primary place where God is working through to advance his kingdom um, until he comes. And so I, I think that we have a primary responsibility to make sure that we are equipping and mobilizing the saints for the ministry here at grace to the best of our ability. But then when there is that surplus, there's that sense of, well, how then do we steward externally and realize that we are unified with brothers and sisters in other local churches. And my goodness, in, in what is likely to be an increasingly gospel hostile environment, how important is it for us to receive the encouragement and the insight of brothers and sisters who may be in environments that are already a few steps you know, downstream from, uh, from where we are uh, in terms of cultural difficulty and tensions? We need to learn from them. What does it look like to stand firm for the gospel in ways that don't make us belligerent, but still allow us to be those who would hold out the gospel lovingly? as well as standing convictionally on those those truths that are uh, perpetually and perennially under attack. Uh, but then also, how then do we, uh, how do we leverage the resources that we have to encourage those saints in those places to say, hey, you're not alone, brother, sister, church. Like, we are contending for the gospel with you, and it's worth it. Like, even if you're facing some some pressure right now, it's worth it. Stand firm. Let us be those who come alongside and hold up Moses's arms when he is, is tempted towards weakness. And that's more proximate to us. That's closer to us than, than necessarily an international ministry, or even some of these things that we're saying uh, might need targeted ministry to plant a church from the ground up. Some of these brothers and sisters could just use somebody to come alongside and encourage them. And we need that encouragement too. So and we can help with that. Yeah. <clears throat> Just one more thing on this this thread of thought, and that is the centrality of the church in God's plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am a product, largely a product, of a parachurch ministry mm-hmm. uh, while, while I was in college. I am so thankful that that group was yes. in, involved on the campus where I was a student. Uh, I wonder sometimes if those parachurch ministries aren't, and I think maybe they are, a, uh, a function they're there because the church has not stepped up mm-hmm. and what we're trying to do is step up and be what we should be. But God has called the church, not this organization or that organization. It's a local church as presented here in scripture. Yeah. That is the organism by which mm-hmm. God is going to move and spread yeah. the word of God and the gospel throughout the world. Yeah. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. And I think there is, there is a place for those parachurch ministries. No I doubt. too, you know, uh, hugely formative, my college days and college ministry. Um, you know, I work at a parachurch, right? There now. you go. And exactly. I think that there is a sense in which uh, there is a, a supplementary partnership that can emerge and that is healthy. But 
one of the limits of parachurch is that it's always targeted to a slim sliver of, uh, of ministry where it can develop some expertise, whether it's college ministry, you know, you've got people from their 18s to, you know, early 20s that you're focused on. That's great. But it also is not necessarily as compelling as a 18-year-old sitting next to a 90-year-old, both raising their hands in worship as they sing some weird hymn from, you know, 200 years ago, uh, collectively in a group of people that have gathered together for no other reason. Where does that happen? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, on a weekend. You know, like, there is something compelling about the uncommon diversity of people who gather in a church that are bound together, not by affinities or hobbies or, you know, any other sort of sociocultural bonds. But the reason that they are gathering together amidst this diversity is to worship the God who brings about a unity beyond any of those things that would divide them. And that's the church. That's not a parachurch. I think it's instructive that Jesus said that it is the church that will you know, storm the gates of hell. The gates go. of hell will not prevail against the church. Not necessarily some individual ministry, good and helpful as they are, but it is his church that will prevail. Chapter 1, verse 29. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So we, we have this idea of opposition and suffering. Paul presents here and, and highlights in verses 29 and 30. Does opposition and suffering necessarily have to accompany a gospel witness. I I do not think that every instance of a gospel witness must elicit some sort of suffering or persecution, but I think that especially for those of us in contexts that have largely been friendly to the idea or the free practice of our faith like the United States have been, I think we need to attend to some of those verses that do in fact give some pretty uniform expectations to us that it will involve some suffering. I mean, I think of 2 Timothy 3.12, all who seek to live godly lives will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Paul here. Sounds pretty categorical. (laughs) It sounds pretty categorical, and particularly for people who are uh, intent on trusting the literal word of God, I think... I think there's a lot that we've done to practically avoid or maybe domesticate some of these verses that have kind of gone hand in hand with some of our proper American focus on rights, such that sometimes when we get pinched for our gospel convictions, we think something must be wrong or that some injustice is totally unexpected and unfounded when in fact all throughout the New Testament. And let's just look here at Philippians chapter 1. Yeah. (laughs) Suffering comes against those who will stand against the tide of a a world that is sin-bent away from the right proper order of things that God established for it. And so I, I think that we need to perhaps be less surprised as a church when suffering comes. And part of that will be determining together to say, come what may, this is right. 
this is good and this is what living out a kingdom vision that exceeds and extends beyond any of the lesser kingdoms of this earth uh, is going to look like. It will pinch against all the Caesars and all of the kings of the earth who seek to assert their own authority. And we don't necessarily fight that, but rather we live out of the confidence of those who have been assured that this is not what gets the last word. Uh, and looking at the apostles, and Paul in particular in this case, we're having written Philippians and sharing here in chapter 1 his, his chains, uh, sharing though how his being in chains has uh, increased the opportunity to spread the gospel to the imperial guard and everybody throughout Rome. Hmm. And Paul is very clear in not asserting his rights. Hmm. Now, he interestingly, he does in Acts chapter 16, in the very place to whom he is writing, he asserts his rights as a Roman citizen, but he does not do that first. It, that, it seems in that context, it's more of a, there may be a little tweak of the nose there, but there also is a again an opportunity that that comes out of that. The point being here, Paul is not um, not first saying, "Oh, you've offended me." Hmm. It goes to loving God first and loving others, and really focus on the presentation of the gospel, not what happened to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've seen some people. <laughs> maybe it's a little tongue in cheek, but uh, they've said his appeal to Caesar there is just a. Uh, a way to get free passage to Rome. <laughs> well, and I'm not so sure that's wrong. <laughs> it, seems to be that it comes with chains, but it, it's yeah. missiologically beneficial to get him to a place that he longs to go on his way to Spain in order to proclaim the gospel further. Right. And so the way that he is reasoning out his rights and his actions is formed and shaped by the gospel, not self-protection. And I think that's maybe the, the point of distinction. Yeah, and Matt, it, it takes me to... And uh, certainly just sharing a personal thought that I've had to deal with and had to think through in being purposeful in ministry. Uh, I, I, like you, uh, I think we're in agreement here. There is a, not the divide between sacred and secular that a lot of people mm -hmm. would want to put there uh, between the clergy and non-clergy and all that. Mm -hmm. we can, that's a discussion for another day. But uh, I know when I think of my business, uh, business activities uh, as a non-vocational minister of the gospel, I'll mm -hmm. say, one of the things I really work towards is looking at for opportunities mm -hmm. to do the little things, to pray with somebody, yeah. to share just the love of Christ with them in, in very practical mm -hmm. forms, whether it's mm -hmm. a note, whether it's a whatever it is, mm -hmm. but especially with clients, mm -hmm. everybody who comes to me has a problem. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a really good problem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> They've got an asset that they need to sell and so on and so mm -hmm. forth, but not to get too deep into that, but having a, as you say, a gospel centric focus where, okay, how God are you going to use me today? Whether you're teaching students, whether you are minister or teach or working with clients, whether you are a mother at home with your children, what is your, fo or a father at home with your children, let's be equal across the board. The point is, what can I do today? That mindset has to be true. And really that's what Paul's tell calling us to, yeah. isn't he? Continues yeah. to be Think gospel, think mm -hmm. gospel, and how is what my circumstances are yeah. going to help me to achieve what God yeah. wants me to achieve. I think a lot of times people try to get at that idea with um, some of the language of encouraging people that, you know, everyone's a missionary. Now, the 
what they're pushing people to do there is to say, look at the day that you have in front of you, look at the energies and resources you have and consider that the best way for them to be used is for the purpose of advancing gospel, uh, gospel purposes in your day. And so just like a missionary is going to go to a foreign place and assess what are the things that are fighting against the reception of the gospel and how can I speak a word uh, of gospel encouragement to people who need to hear it? Well, why does that have to happen only in foreign contexts and not in more familiar contexts? Uh, why does that hap have to happen in foreign contexts but not more familiar ones? And while I think that I probably would uh, use different language, I think missionary language doesn't appear in the Bible and sometimes creates some hierarchy in, in some of our understanding of what it means to be a, a Christian. And we don't want to lionize missionaries by making them the green berets. But I, I think you can do the same thing by realizing that all disciples are called to be disciple makers. And so then those questions about how do you conduct your business? Well, I do it as a disciple and with an aim to be available and intentional to make disciples. Some of those are going to be brothers and sisters. I'm going to encourage with that note. I, I'm a recipient of some of those, oh, some of your encouraging notes, but others are going to be people who are far from Christ and who need to consider the gospel. And so considering what resources do I as an individual have in the energies and minutes of this day, and then how do I intentionally and prayerfully seek to steward them to be and make disciples? Paul says, just one thing, or, or only this, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever yeah. you're doing, yeah. do it well, and do it, do it for the glory of God. Matt, there's somebody listening, perhaps, who, who desires to serve Christ faithfully as a parent, mm -hmm. maybe as a, a coach in the youth athletic programs, maybe it's at work, in local politics, whatever venue they're called to serve. What counsel do you give that person? Let's boil it down mm -hmm. to just some, some very simple proactive approaches. Mm -hmm. What do you say to that person? Matt, help me. What, what, how should I be doing this? Yeah. Honestly, uh, this is not a trite punt answer, but I think the very first thing is discipline yourself in prayer. Um, I find that the times that I am most aware of the opportunities around me to share the gospel with those who are far from Christ or to pour into those who are preparing for ministry or uh, going about their task as disciples. Uh, those are the times where I am most attentive to being reminded that I'm desperately dependent on the Lord to figure out how to steward those resources he entrusts to me. When I'm distracted by the concerns of my day to day, I struggle in being diligent in those sorts of prayers. And likewise, I'm not as attentive throughout the day. And so I, I just think it begins with a sense of reminding ourselves of both what we are for as disciples and disciple makers, and then how absolutely incapable of doing what we are for apart from the empowering work of the spirit uh, that we are. So dependence and prayer, I think, start my answer. So each morning driving to work, set a note for yourself to say, Pray a simple prayer like, Lord, today, give me eyes to see the places that you are putting me as advantageous for your purposes to make yourself known and show me the people, give me the courage to be able to have the conversations that are going to uh, advance those purposes. 
And, and then by I the think way, it, without saying it, you've expounded on First Peter three fifteen. We want to say, hey, be ready always to give an answer to those who ask yeah. you the reason I hope to send you. Yeah. First part of that verse is, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Yeah, be ready. Yeah. So, and then I think it's just being available, like you suggested, offering to pray for somebody in an environment where you're having conversations or you're engaged naturally in business. Don't don't just let that be. Uh, well, I'm gonna. I'm going to be nice and hopefully they'll interpret that being nice as Jesus is God in the flesh who died for our sins and rose again. Like that's not, your niceness is not self-interpreting. That's easy to fall into. Yeah. But it can be an environment where you're going out of your way to uh, live for someone else's uh, encouragement does provide you that venue for them to be like, man, tell me what makes you tick because I'm sitting here hating Monday and you've got a smile on your face and then be ready. But also take those initiatives to say, Hey, you know, this is something I heard at church this last week, even just putting out some of those breadcrumbs that can strike up a conversation where somebody says, Oh, church, you go to church. Like I left that a long time ago. Well, that's an opening to have a, to Tell ask some follow up questions. Like, did you get hurt at a church? I know that's, prevalent. Tell me, tell me more about it. And all of a sudden you're off to the races with a meaningful conversation with somebody right there at work. And it's not aggressive. It's not something that's violating the terms of your <laughs> employment, but it's something that, uh, that opens the door for some of those deeper conversations. Prepare, be ready and dive in. Be willing to take some risks. It sounds yeah. like what you're saying. Great. Well, Matt, hey, thanks for sharing with us. Appreciate your work in the sermon, but also in coming and, and illuminate a little bit further today. Appreciate you being here. No, thank you, Bart. Appreciate it. Well, we've been digging deeper today with Matt Bennett, and you can access Matt's sermon as well as all Grace sermons and podcast episodes on demand by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking the media tab. We also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us each week by emailing them to contact at gracecedarville.org. That's contact at gracecedarville.org. Plan to join us next time. We'll be continuing our discussion of God's Word in the first portion of Philippians chapter 2. And until we meet again, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.